Thank you for listening to a special edition of the Lang Money Hour. The following broadcast is from Jim Lang's most recent in-person seminar held on February 8, 2020 at the Crown Plaza Hotel and Suites in the South Hills section of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This special retirement workshop was attended by near 100 retirees seeking protective strategies against the death of the stretch IRA in the form of the SECURE Act that went into law effective January 1st, 2020. And now, Jim Lang. There's a couple technical changes that need that often need to be made with the SECURE Act. I'm not going to go into the details, but what a lot of estate attorneys were doing is they did something called, when they were drafting trusts, they were drafting what were called conduit trusts, meaning the income flowed through. And that was actually appropriate at the time because we were trying to avoid the high trust tax rates. But now it could be an income tax disaster. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that technical point, but a lot of people, even if their documents were reasonably good, by the way, most of them are not. I hate to say that, but there aren't, we're not in the business of redoing documents that are good. We are such a busy office. We're crushed with work. If you come in and your will is fine, or even if it's not perfect, maybe there's something that we could do to tweak it. We might just say, hey, what you have is pretty good, you know, and it's not worth paying us X thousands of dollars to redo that. And we don't, we don't need to do that. But that might be one circumstance where the documents were okay even last year, but they're not okay this year. The next area I think might be shocking to you. And it is a recommendation that you consider of something that up to now I have rarely recommended for people whose, whose main concern is providing for their family. And this might be, even if you had no concept of this, this might be the most important thing that you're going to get out of today's workshop. And the answer to what could this new idea be, or I should say new application of an older idea be, that could really be a great answer for a lot of people in this room will be revealed after the break. Let me just mention this quickly. At the end of the workshop, we will be offering a free initial consultation with me. All right. Um, you see how many people are here. And by the way, that's after turning away about 20 people. Um, my schedule is going to get crushed. If you already have heard enough, yep, I want to go talk to Jim. You might want to go to the back or outside the room, sign up with Alice, get on my schedule. If you want to wait till the end of the workshop or even subsequent ones, that is fine. But you're going to have better choices and more choices earlier than later on. Um, I have uh, 1044. Why don't we reconvene at 10.55 sharp, and then we'll go to roughly 11.30. Okay, here it comes. What is this new potential, this new potential estate plan? 
So under the SECURE Act, if you leave your money, your IRA, to your child, your child must pay income taxes on that within 10 years of your death, all right, which is going to be miserable. But I also mentioned one of the exceptions to the SECURE Act is if you leave your money to charities or charitable trusts. Oh, Jim, I'm somewhat charitable, but I'm much more interested in my children getting the money than having the money go to charity, so I don't even want to hear about charitable trusts. Hang on a second. Let's think about this. I'm going to oversimplify. You die with a million dollars, your kid's going to have to pay 400000 If they defer it, they're going to maybe even have to pay more in taxes. So let's just say there's $600,000 left. So now your kid has $600,000, he can do whatever he wants. Okay? But let's say he just invests the money. He's going to be earning income on $600,000, not a million. Okay? Example number two. Instead of leaving it to your kid or kids directly, you leave it to a charitable trust. Here's the terms, and I'm going to oversimplify and not be technically correct, but it's easier to understand. The terms of the charitable trust are income to child for the child's life, and then when the child dies, that money that is left goes to a charity. But remember I said that that was one of the exceptions. So the charitable trust doesn't have to pay tax on the million. So now the trust is earning income on a million. So let's say that, you might not know this, but Joe hates charity. He can't stand charity. He thinks that those dogs ought to just find homes on their own. Those starving kids in Africa ought to get a job. Um, just can't stand it. He thinks, ah, what's the problem with drinking dirty, polluted water? <clears throat> I grew up on the Hudson, and we were seeped in crap. But he loves his kids. Why would he even consider a charitable trust? Maybe the, the income on a million, just the income on it, is going to be more beneficial for his kids than having 600000 outright. Well, gee, Jim, which one is better? Income on a million or $600,000 outright? And of course, it depends on the assumptions, but using reasonable assumptions, the issue then is resolved by when is the kid going to die? All right? Joe leaves money to a charitable trust, income to child, a child's death to charity, and the kid dies a year after Joe, Joe dies, and the family only gets income for a year, that's not going to work out very well for Joe's family. But let's say that the kid lives till he's 70 or 90. Well, then he's getting the income on a million. Well, when is the break-even point? Uh-oh, we have to do math. <laughs> and, and by the way, so if you, some of you, I think, 
we are passing out our old book and we're in the middle of doing a new book. And actually one of our longtime clients said, hey, I, I, had, I had your first book back in 2006. And I looked at the second edition and the third edition and it's filled with math because math is the best solution to a lot of problems. If I hadn't done the math on the break-even point for a charitable trust, I can't give you good advice or bad advice. I'm just guessing, all right? Um, interestingly enough, the math that I did, Bob Keebler, who's a real math guy, he came up with the same results. And I was actually emailing the owner of the software that we like to use called Brentmark yesterday. And I sent her the chart that I'm going to show you, and she immediately emailed back, send the whole book, because she wanted to see the math. So here's the math for Joe's child, between if we leave the money to Joe's child directly, where he gets a tax hit within the first 10 years, or leave the money to the charitable trust. And the answer is, if the child, given certain assumptions, lives till about age 63, then it's a break-even. If the child lives into his 70s, okay, this is the charitable trust. This is if you leave it outright to the child. The, ch the child is $700,000 better off. Maybe you ought to reconsider that, Joe. Maybe even if you don't like charities, you'd rather your kid be $700,000 better off. By the way, you know, these days with life expectancy growing and growing, what if the kid lives to 90s or 100? And by the way, I haven't gone into the technical definition. It's not really income, but if you Get, if you get into the technical, which I'm not going to do for our purposes, it's actually higher than income. So this can be terrific even if you have no charitable intent at all. And by the way, as a bonus, with at least these assumptions, you get $1.2 million going to charity. This is really a in very interesting plan. The other thing about this is that your child gets a steady income for the rest of their life, and you might like that. It's particularly appropriate if you were thinking of a trust for your kids anyway. So for many years, since I can remember, we've, for 30 years we've been drafting what are called spendthrift trusts, okay? Let's say one of Joe's kids, he'd go out and buy a new guitar before he'd pay the rent. And if you left it to him, he'd, be, he'd go through the whole thing in two years. But Joe still loves the kid. Well, you don't leave that money to the kid outright. You do a trust for the kid. Kid gets the income, maybe health maintenance and support. And that trust, if that trust is appropriate anyway, gee, now we have a great tax reason to do it. The I don't want my no good son-in-law to inherit one red cent of my money trust. The ever more popular and growing in popularity trust. 
All right, so this is a situation where, let's say that this child is married to somebody who Joe fears is going to get divorced from his kid sometime down the road. All right, example number one, Joe leaves a million dollars to this kid who's fiscally responsible. He takes that money since he has a job right now, he takes that money and he invests it. And let's just say it's 10 years later, he invests the money at 7%, that money's 2 million. Now the family, you know, the, that child is going through a divorce. All right, what do you think her divorce attorney is going to do with that 2 million? Now under Pennsylvania law, the million that Joe left him is not a marital asset, but the other million growth is. And she's not going to say, can I please have 50% of that? She's going to say, I want 90% of it because you have your own million. So in that situation, by the way, there's a couple solutions. One is a post-nuptial agreement. Have her sign anything that, that he inherits, she won't make a claim on. And that's a great way to start a family fight. <laughs> I've done that a bunch. Or you just draft the, I don't want my no good son in law to inherit one red cent of my money trust. And we've done a lot of those. But now, particularly if your child's in good health and you have a, a long life expectancy for that child, it sure beats paying $400,000 in taxes and then having the income on that $400,000 gone forever. All right, so this charitable trust is a really interesting idea. All right, now Matt, the cynic, <clears throat> oh, he's not here, but anyway, Matt, the cynic says, hey, people aren't gonna do that because what happens if there is an early death? The child dies early, in which case we're disinheriting grandkids. That's a very legitimate objection. So we ran some more numbers that said with some of the tax savings, you take a cheap term policy out on the child. So if the child dies prematurely, we replace that money with life insurance. So it's not a perfect solution, but it's a good one. Now, the other problem with this, just like any trust, uh, drafting it, by the way, is the easy part, okay? You know, it's not all that tough. Well, of course, I don't do it, and <laughs> Matt does. Um, <laughs> drafting the charitable trust is not the toughest part. The part that is time-consuming and expensive is after the death, now that trust has to be administered. There has to be a trustee, there has to be a tax return, there has to be a K-1. So if you're talking about two or $300,000, it's not worth it because the percentage of the administration cost compared to the underlying benefit is too great. Or if you have a million dollars and you have five kids, I'm gonna do five different trusts, $200,000 each. No, no, you have to think about the cost and the aggravation. You also, by the way, have to think about the trustee, all right? My vote, if we need a trustee for this one, would be this one, because I don't want, let me tell you who I don't want to be the trustee, subject to a few exceptions. I don't want an attorney to be the trustee, all right? 
And let me tell you who I really don't want is the bank. The bank being the executor or the trustee, unbelievable. I'll, I'll just take one second on this because it happens to be one of my soapbox issues. Um, so I, w I started my career as a CPA and I worked my way through law school and I worked for um, actually a couple of really good firms. One was Arthur Anderson, uh, which is no longer, but they were a great CPA firm. And then later on, I worked with Buchanan Ingersoll, um, which was a wonderful, well, they were a big law firm. <laughs> Better watch myself here. But anyway, uh, one of the clients that Arthur Anderson had was the blank bank, which I'm not gonna mention because I could get in trouble saying this. And that bank did a lot of trusts and they did a lot of estates and they literally didn't have the manpower to finish the tax returns for these trusts. And these are specialized tax returns and you can't just get a CPA off the street, say here, here do these. It's a specialized return. And I was one of the guys that knew how to do them. So I spent literally months in my career in the basement of blank bank doing trust returns and to his credit, his name was Frank DeMarco, he's no longer with us. To his credit, Frank said, okay, here's the deal. We will do the tax returns, but we're gonna use Arthur Anderson quality, which means we're gonna read the wills, we're gonna read the trusts, we're gonna do the allocations the way they're supposed to be done, and that way your clients will have a huge benefit. And the blank bank didn't really have much of a choice, so they said, okay. So I was one of the guys that did it. So I was reading wills, I was reading trusts, and I saw the numbers. And I saw the fees up here. I saw the quality down here. It was unbelievable. The bank, they, they wanted, you know, something sometimes like three, four, five percent to be an executor. And then here's the kicker. The bank would name the attorney who drafted the document as the estate attorney, and they both got big percentages. And I had two reactions. The first one, this is outrageous, this is unbelievable. You know, four, five, eight, ten percent of the money is going out to the estate attorney in the bank when the work isn't even done all that well instead of a fair hourly rate. My other reaction is, hmm, wonder if I can get in on this. <laughs> Um, I have chosen the side of light. I decided not to go to the dark side. I can't tell you I had never thought about it. Um, and we, by the way, something like half the estate attorneys are still charging a percentage, um, even just to do the estate, you know. And a lot of this stuff, to me, the judgment, how much to disclaim, what, sh what you should do, the strategy part where you can save people a ton of money, that doesn't tend to be all that time consuming. You give Matt a fact situation off the top of his head, he's gonna come up with a pretty good solution. You know, th just this year, again, we had multi-million dollar disclaimers saving family millions and millions of dollars. And it's not like we charge 4% or 6% or even 3%. We said, okay, I worked this many hours on it, this many hours times our hourly rate, and this is what it is. That's much better. And if you name the bank as the executor or the trustee, guess what? You're just, you just gave up your, your control. All right? I like family members. Now, sometimes family members can't stand each other. 
I mean, that's just the reality. And sometimes you have to go outside the immediate family, but in general, subject to rare exception, I'm, I'd prefer a family member that you trust. And by the way, the family member can hire an estate attorney. They can hire an investment guy. They can hire a CPA. And if the investment guy, the attorney, the CPA doesn't do the job, the, your family member can fire them and get somebody else. Okay, I'm done with my soapbox. But this charitable trust is something that we only recommended for people who were very charitable as recently as you know, a couple months ago. Now it's going to make a lot of sense for a lot of people. If you are genuinely charitable and you care about a university, a church, um, Red Cross, wh wherever, wherever your passion is, and you're interested in helping people locally, nationally, internationally, you like the idea of saving taxes, you like the idea of having a steady income for your kids, and particularly if you were going to do the I don't want my no good son in law to inherit one red cent of my money trust anyway, or the spendthrift trust, this becomes a really reasonable idea. Okay? Any questions on this one before I go on? Because this is, this is an, important quest, an important concept, and most people aren't going to do it, but I'm going to guess that more people should do it. And interestingly enough, Bob Keyboard did the same analysis. He came up with more or less the same conclusion, and um, the software company that, that now I'm in contact with. By the way, we're, we're in contact with the top software companies in the country. So this is Brent Mark, and we also... Um, we are in very close contact with Lackner, and he does all the estate administration software, the, the, best, the best program in the country. Yes, sir. Why is that uh, portionless check <coughs> flat curve? Is that because the uh, outcome is uh, the, the equal to the withdrawal? Okay, so I, I'm going to revise the uh, question a little bit. Hey Jim, what assumptions did you use? And what I'm what I'm doing here is I am assuming a certain spending rate, certain interest rate, um, certain number of years of distribution, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If I had done different assumptions, I'd have come up with a different result. By the way, that's the that's the, the way it is every time you run the numbers. That's why when we run the numbers. When I say run the numbers, I'm talking about testing a bunch of variables. So what is the best retirement estate plan for Bob? Well, let's take a look. Let's A, do nothing, status quo, and run it forward, not just for 10 years or 20 years or Bob's life expectancy, we run it forward 50 years, the life expectancy of his kids. Uh, we do a series of Roth IRA conversions, but very small ones. We run that 50 years. Then we do a series of bigger Roth IRA conversions. We run that. Then we do a series of small Roth conversions and small gifts, and we run that. And then we do a series of Roth IRA, bigger Roth IRA conversions and bigger gifts, and we run that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We call it running the numbers. Um, hardly anybody, just the nature of the people that we tend to attract, they want to be in the room when we run the numbers. All right, let me take a guess of most of you, and I think most of your spouses would agree, 
most of you, no matter what I came up with, would not be willing to accept it unless you saw how we got it. That's why you have to be in the room when we do it. Now, it might take us twice as long because we're explaining things. So the gentleman that just asked the question, I will tell you right now, he's going to challenge the assumptions. Which, oh, you said 7%. What if it's 5%? Well, instead of giving him grief, oh, no, I think you'll get, we'll say, okay, let's do 5%. And the problem, the problem for me anyway, is finding people who are qualified to run the numbers. And let me tell you who may be subject to very rare exception are basically hopeless for running numbers. Attorneys. Really bad thinking. That's pretty, pretty bad. Who's not much better? Financial advisors. All right. Who do you have an, even a prayer with? CPAs. So our number crunchers are CPA tax preparer veterans who have gone to specialized training afterwards, and they have internal training for us. Now, we just hired a relatively green CPA, a really bright guy. He's not going to be ready for at least a couple years to do this. So we will never be a huge firm doing this kind of work because we're not going to be able to find the talent. Um, but anyway, that's, that's my problem. So anyway, the point is, the question was about assumptions. We have starting assumptions. We're happy to use any assumptions that you want. Because the CPA is so good and he knows the software so well, he can do anything that you want. And if you have something that's even trickier, we have like multiple programs. But we can always, let's say, transfer um, the information to an Excel spreadsheet. And by the way, that was the beginning of running the numbers. And this was before I had CPAs that could do this. This is in the late 90s. And the person who started running the numbers was actually a combination of me and my wife. And she's a sharp cookie. She has a master's in electrical engineering from Carnegie Mellon and is very good with spreadsheets. That was kind of like the beginning of what I would call run the numbers. So when I did those peer review articles on Roth IRA conversions in 1998, we didn't have all this fancy software. It was Excel, and it was very manual. And running the numbers is much more manual than you would expect. You would expect these days, oh, they have this software. All you have to do, monkey can do this, right? Just plug in the numbers and hit hit calculate, and out comes the answer. No, it's nothing like that. It's more like interpolation. Try this, try that, try this, try this, try that. Okay, question in the back. Yes, um, any restrictions to looking charitable, like the child's gonna get that million through the charitable trust. Like, they're not allowed to touch any of it, right? Wait, 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 time out, time out. The, the question is, are there restrictions with the charitable trust? Yeah, there's big restrictions. Again, subject to the special link, special definition of income, it's income to the child. No, the child gets money the year after you die, two years after you die, three years after you die, four years. The charity doesn't get any money until your child is gone. All right? But let me tell you when it wouldn't work is if your child needs more than the income. The child needs a quarter million dollars because for whatever reason, in a charitable trust, too bad. 
which is one reason, by the way, you sometimes think about, well, you don't leave everything to the child in the charitable trust. Maybe you leave the child some money outright, or you leave the child some after-tax dollars that's liquid, and you do a charitable trust. He, here, here's the real deal that we're going to talk more about in the second session. There is no one solution to these problems. And everybody here has a different fact pattern, different goals, different um, family situations. And this has to be, this, this is not a cookie cutter operation. That's why it's really important to go to people who think. I mean, Matt loved coming from, from where he, he was, and I'm not going to mention the firm because it won't sound great to them, because they didn't really, they were more mechanics. He says, wow, we get to use strategy. This is fun. I can save people a half a million dollars by doing this. And I'm a chess player. I'm a bridge player. That's fun. <laughs> it really is. I'm not going to say I'm not motivated by money. I am. But if, and the other thing is, we, last time we checked, we have a 97% retainage rate, meaning the people that start with us stay with us. All right. So work that I did, and I've been doing a long time, and I'm continuing to do it, and I intend to do it uh, for a long time, work that I did 20, 30 years ago, we're seeing the benefit of that now. That's a very cool continuum to do some stuff, have time pass, have an event, whether it's a change in the tax law or, very frankly, somebody die, and you really help the family out. That's enormously satisfying. Okay, I'll take one more, and then I'm going to move on. There was one more. Matt. Briefly clarify a point about the question. If you're setting up a charitable trust, you can't have a beneficiary if he's 20 years old. Because when you run the calculation, there's going to be a presumed present value that would be left to the charity of 10%. So that's another restriction is that the beneficiary you name has to be of an age that the calculation will work. The technical question, by the way, there's tons of technical stuff that I'm not that I'm skipping over, okay? Um, a because it's complicated. B because you'd be bored to tears. All right, but but no, no Matt Matt is absolutely right. Um, you know, if the present value is more than 10%, um, I'm sorry, less than 10%, you can't do it. By the way, in the old days, it was 1%. That was great. <laughs> Charities really got screwed, but, um, but anyway. Uh, the other thing that I'll mention is uh, if you are going to do a charitable trust, a lot of times, now this is a charitable trust for you where you get income and at your death it goes to a charity. And a lot of colleges and charities have that where they do it automatically. They make the assumptions that you're being really charitable. We could do that same trust and you'd get a lot more money. <laughs> But anyway, the other type of trust that becomes interesting, it's an old trust that we didn't do much of that I think we're going to be doing a lot more of called a sprinkle trust. And that's where you kind of, the trustee sprinkles some income. So maybe one of Joe's grandkids needs some money and they're in a particularly low tax bracket. Okay, we'll sprinkle some money to that kid. Uh, maybe this one has a bad year. We'll sprinkle some money to that kid. Um, it's not for everybody, but it becomes an interesting possibility. And as I said earlier, most likely the quote solution is not going to be one solution. It's going to be a combination 
of a lot of solutions. Okay? All right. Um, right here. Sprinkle trust. All right, the question is, is a sprinkle trust the same thing as a special needs trust? No, radically different. A special needs trust is typically a trust that is drafted when the beneficiary either is already or predictably can expect to receive some type of government benefit. So let's say that you have a child who um, maybe um, has some type of condition. Um, and by the way, it doesn't have to be all that bad. The child could just be, let's say, suffer from depression um, and would qualify for SSI or SSDI or a drug benefit, or maybe it's a little worse and the child needs a housing benefit or some type of government benefit. Well, a lot of these government benefits will be limited if the child either has a certain level of income or a certain level of wealth. So let's say for discussion's sake to keep life simple that you have a child who predictably will qualify for a government benefit. And if you leave the money outright to that child, then unfortunately what might happen is they might be denied that government benefit. And particularly if it's a drug benefit, it could be very substantial. But you still want to make sure that that money is available for that child. So what you do, you, if you leave it to the child outright, then the government gets the money. So what you do is you draft the special needs trust, which basically says, we're going to put certain limitations on it so that the government can't get it, but the trustee does have discretion to give money to the child as the child needs it. And maybe the child might need substantially more than an income. Maybe the child needs a house. Maybe the child needs an operation. Maybe the child needs things that we can't predict. So um, that is a specialty trust. We've been doing them for many years. If the underlying asset is an IRA, now you, need, now you have two sets of requirements for that trust to qualify as a designated beneficiary. And if you remember before, I said that disabled children were, or grandchildren um, were one of the exceptions to the SECURE Act, meaning that that child, that special needs child can stretch the IRA. So now you need an estate attorney who can draft both the special needs portion and the income tax portion. And that's really tricky. 20 second story on this. So, um, and we've been drafting these for years and we know what we're doing on this. And I'm reading the Wall Street Journal and the Wall Street Journal says it's very tricky when the underlying asset is an IRA to name a trust. Um, so therefore we recommend that you not name a trust if the IRA is the underlying asset. I thought, well, that's really stupid. If you have a big IRA and the beneficiary is any kind of trust, special needs trust, I don't want, want my no-good son-in-law to inherit one red, red cent on my money trust, whatever it is, the solution is not to name somebody else, it's to go to an estate attorney who knows what they're doing and they, they can draft that. So I was furious. I write a note, dear Wall Street Journal, I think that you gave very bad advice. Da, 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 da. 
anyway, that was back when I had a radio show. A um, bunch of you remember that. Anyway, that night I had a, um, an estate attorney named Bruce Steiner on the show, really good estate attorney from New, from New York. And I just started with a pleasantry. How are you, Bruce? I'm furious. Well, what's the matter, Bruce? He said the Wall Street Journal ran an, an article today, and it said when the underlying asset is an IRA that you should not name a trust as a beneficiary. And what a stupid piece of advice that is. The right piece of advice is just find an estate attorney that knows what they're doing, and that way you can protect the child and save taxes and everything else. And I was so mad, I wrote a letter to the Wall Street Journal. Anyway, of course, they didn't publish either of our articles. But, but that's an example of a specialty situation where the difference between getting the right person and the wrong person is, and particularly if you're talking about a special needs child, can be the difference between that kid being okay and that kid not being, a, well, it might be an adult, it might be a 50-year-old adult. You really need to get that right. Go ahead, you have one follow-up and then we're gonna move on. All right, so, so the question is, what are the wording? What is the wording? Well, there's two sets of wordings that you have to follow. One um, actually is in retire secure. There's five specific conditions that must be met. You know, Matt says 90% of the estate attorneys botch it. We don't botch it. The other set of conditions is the right language that is known to work as a special needs trust. All right, you need to have both sets of language in there. Um, and remember, we have the exception for disabled children, so the disabled child can stretch the IRA just like the old law. Okay. Um, it's, it's important to get this stuff right, and in our own circumstances, we, could, we knew that this law was coming, and we have been drafting um, for at least a lot of clients to provide additional flexibility so if the law does come that we don't have to redo documents. That said, there are a whole bunch of documents that we have to redo. And it's really unpleasant because we have about 2,500 wills that we have to go through and figure out, well, which ones need to be redone. And then we have to prioritize them. All right, so instead of a healthy looking guy like Joe, let's say that we have somebody in their mid 90s and the beneficiaries of Spendthrift Trust. And we use the old conduit language. Oh, we better hurry up and fix that. Redo that. If on the other hand, uh, Joe's relatively broke, his wife is relatively broke, it's probably clear that the Money's going to go to each other and then the kids, and the only way the grandkids are going to get any money is if everybody dies first. Well, that might not even have to be redone at all. But I guess one of the points is, is that we try to really stay in touch. And really, when you do a will for somebody, in my opinion, you're, that, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. They're putting their trust in you. We send out more information. We send out books. We send out articles. We send out invitations to workshops. By the way, out of curiosity, how many here are existing clients? And I, I define a client as somebody who's given me money. 
<laughs> All right. So, so you can see, you know, th this, this, this group, they got either a newsletter or an invitation, said, hey, we have a new law coming. You know, if you want to learn about it, come here. Um, last year, um, every single per every single client got a book on we called it the death of the um, death of the stretch IRA and how to beat it. Again, we one of the reasons we are doing this on video is we will send this video to every single one of our clients. We get a lot of work when somebody else did the original estate plan. Not because people were necessarily unhappy, because they never heard from the estate attorney. We're the opposite. We're going to send you <laughs> information, <laughs> newsletters, and books, and which I think is good. I think that that's a way of serving people. All right, so why don't we wrap up, talk a little bit about what we learned, and look for opportunities. So we talked about some of the SECURE Act basics. We talked about some of the same strategies that are good for your kids are good for you. We talked about what I still regard after all these years as the best estate plan for traditionally married couples. Um, we talked a little bit about some of the strategies to enhance your estate. Uh, we talked a little bit about charitable trust and a little bit about sprinkle trust. So a lot of people say, okay, Jim, this has been very helpful information. You know, what now? What do I do now? So I'm going to put myself in your position. You now realize, gee, if I do nothing, my kid's going to have zero when, instead of two million. Maybe I should do something. Well, what should you do? And this is going to sound self-serving but you should take advantage of the offer that I'm making for a free consultation. Um, I have made the strategic decision, either good or bad, that I'm going to do all the consultations. Um, I've, I've been talking with, with Alice and Sue, and I am prepared to work evenings and weekends because a lot of times people don't know what they need or they think they know what they need, and they come in, and I've been doing this too long, and I don't want to miss an opportunity. All right? So if Pam comes in and says, hey, Jim, I, I heard what you said, and I think I really need a new will, I'm going to ask Pam to bring in her tax return. I'm going to ask her to fill in the questionnaire. I'm going to ask her to bring in a lot of stuff, and I'm going to look at her stuff and say, well, Pam, you're right. You do need a new will, but you are a fabulous candidate for a series of Roth IRA conversions where you'll be hundreds of thousands of dollars better off and your kids might be a million dollars better off. Well, that's pretty relevant. So, or maybe her investments are a mess. Or maybe she, maybe her will is fine. I, I don't know. But what I'm saying is take advantage of this opportunity and come and, and speak with me. Um, we call it a retire secure consultation. Um, there is no pressure. It is totally confidential. Um, I'm doing most of the talking now. Uh, when you come in, my goal is to s talk about one-third and have listened two-thirds. I, I don't always succeed. Probably most of the time I don't, but I try. Because sometimes I can't help it. I, I just see stuff, and, and you're, you're supposed to hold back. I don't hold back. I'm like, 
the, the idea that you're going to come see me and I'm not going to come up with a couple good ideas, some of which could be enormously beneficial for your family, that, that, that just really doesn't happen. I've done thousands of these consultations in my career. Um, many of the people have chosen to do business with me. Uh, very frankly, we have chosen not to do business with people. I'm only looking for right fit clients. I only want people who I can help. And very frankly, I, I don't want any pains in the you know what. If you have two million, uh, a little bit. But, but, but I'm actually serious. You know, we do really good work. Our fees are really fair for the quality of the work that we do. Um, we have, uh, we've never been sued, uh, never had a complaint. Um, it's a very, I don't want to go near a courtroom. Um, it's a very, very pleasant practice, a pleasant existence. Um, and if we're not going to tell you that you need something that we don't think you need, if Pam's will is fine, I'll say, well, Pam, we might have done this or that, but it's not going to be worth the money to, to us redo it. Well, Pam, you know, I, you know, what your advisor has with, with their investments, these are pretty good low-cost index funds, and yeah, you could switch, but you know, we're probably not going to do anything all that radically different. Or okay, well, you showed me you're not a good can good candidate for Roth IRA conversions. I give her a bunch of good information. She says thanks. Or maybe she has a different problem. Hey, Jim, I don't want the nursing home to get any of my money. What should I do? Well. I know what to do, but we've, we have chosen not to do that type of law. So I would say, Pam, uh, you're a nice person, I'm a nice person, but we're not a good fit, you should go see, etc. And the, anyway, you're going to get good information. I, I can promise you that. Um, the other thing that you're going to get is you're going to get a perspective from a multidisciplinarian, me. So again, my, I started my career as a CPA. Then I went. Then I went to law. I went to law school at night, um, but I was a CPA for years before I even thought about law school. And my dad, who was a lawyer, said, "Whatever you do, don't go to law school." Okay, <laughs> so of course I went to law school, and then I became a financial advisor after that. But I've always been interested in IRAs and retirement plans, and that's been my focus. But you get what's called a multidiscipline approach. So I can look at your wills, I can look at your investments, I can look at your strategies. Maybe two of those three are fine. Maybe one of the three that are fine. Maybe all three are. And I will be straightforward with you. Again, we have so much work, I don't need to manufacture work. I really don't. Um, the idea that I'm not going to come up with a couple good ideas, I can't imagine. No one has ever, people come from all over the country, no one has ever said, hey, Jim, it, this was really not worth, or even implied it wasn't worth coming in. All right? Um, my my uh, <clears throat> schedule's already filling out, filling up, and you might say, well, gee, when is the best time to do appropriate planning? Well, the Chinese have a saying, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. All right? When's the second best time? Well, it's now. Okay, um, what we have, the way you would do this, if I could borrow this for a second, is each of you should have, thank you, each of you should have a yellow sheet in your folders, all right? And the way you say, yes, Jim, I do want to have a consultation with you, is you fill the sheet out, okay? 
You mark a little X right up here. Say, yes, I want the consultation. If you have your calendars or now these days your cell phones with you, uh, Sue and Alice have my schedule with them. Uh, obviously, we're going to have a lot more appointments um, even later in the day. This way you will get your choice. And I, I don't think we're going to run out, but, but I, can't, I can't promise that. But anyway, fill this out. And because we all, all like a little bit of fun, this filled out, and by the way, even if you don't want a consultation, fill it out anyway, because this will be your raffle ticket for a dinner for two. So I'll give everybody a couple minutes. If you want to fill it out, see me, great. If you want to wait a little bit, you can do that. But you're filled out. Uh, and by the way, the only thing I'm going to read off is your name when we announce the winner. Um, but anyway, if you want to fill that out, give that to Alice, then we will uh, officially conclude the morning session by doing the raffle. Um, but we sometimes lose a few people between now and they want to either sign up or anything. So in terms of the substance, this concludes this morning's session. Thank you very much. To receive the beneficial information that Jim is discussing in this segment, get a copy of Jim's latest bestseller, The IRA and Retirement Plan Owner's Guide to Beating the New Death Tax, Six Proven Strategies to Protect Your Family from the Secure Act. Available now on Amazon in ebook and hardcover formats. To purchase Jim's new book, go to paytaxeslater.com forward slash new death tax book. That address again paytaxeslater.com forward slash new death tax book. And don't forget to sign up for Jim's digital newsletter to get even more comprehensive information. Go to paytaxeslater.com forward slash sign up now. That address again, paytaxeslater.com forward slash sign up now.